It's getting real chilly out there tonight. There are crimes every day across the globe. 911, what's your emergency? Murders, homicides, burglaries, robberies, assaults, and so much more. Here, we will be telling you the true stories about those involved in homicides, murders, burglaries, robberies, heists, and many more crimes. So sit back, try to relax, and let's get into the show. This is Chilling Ice Cold Crime. Good evening, and welcome back to the Chilling Ice Cold Crime Podcast. I'm your host, Austin, and I have a fantastic story for you tonight, a true crime story. It's actually an article, but it's about the in-real-life Candyman. Now, I think this is referencing to the movie Candyman, which I watched a few years ago, but I don't even remember the, the movie. But we're going to read the story. The news article is titled, 35 Years Later, Memories of Notorious Halloween Candyman, Murder Remain Vivid. And that's our topic tonight for the Chilling Ice Cold Crime Podcast. Again, we're going to focus on the in-real-life Candyman. So yeah, it's getting real chilly tonight. It's November 1st. Halloween's officially over, and I thought the Candyman would be a good topic for tonight because a lot of you people went trick-or-treating last night, at least in my area. Last night was trick-or-treat night, Halloween night. A lot of y'all went trick-or-treating. I know some of you went trick-or-treating a few days before then, but either way, you got your candy. But before we get into the Candyman, I want to tell you guys a real story that actually happened in my area. And it was actually a Halloween um, needle in candy in PA, my state, Pennsylvania. I am going to read you the article, which is from um, WGAL NBC 8. <laughs> this definitely was not an accident. Sewing needles found in three pieces of candy in Cumberland County, Pennsylvania. Police in Cumberland County said they're investigating after sewing needles were found in three pieces of candy on Halloween night. The candy was found in the first block of Pine Hill Avenue in Silver Spring Township, according to the officers. It's the shock that it happened, and then it becomes the frustration anger that it did happen, Chief Chris Rubestein said. There's photos below, and a sewing needle was bent with the prickly side out, so you would kind of like bite, not really feel it too much, then kind of like eat and swallow it, or feel it just chunk up your entire mouth. Now, a family that was trick-or-treating spotted the three pieces of wrapped candy on the ground and thought they may have fallen out of a child's bag. Then, they made it this startling discovery. The dad didn't think much of it, picked it up. I think he went to put them in their bags when he bit into it. It, is, it was a smaller candy bar. He bit into a needle. Luckily, he wasn't injured, Robustine said. The family called police and officers found needles sticking out of the other two candy wrappers. 
This is, in my 30 years, the first time we've ever had anything actually happen. Unfortunately, but we want to find out why. This definitely was not an accident. Somebody intentionally did this, Robestein said. Investigators are interviewing residents in the neighborhood and looking for surveillance video. No other potentially harmful candy has been found, but police urge parents to make sure their children's candy is safe to eat. Unfortunately, now we have to be a little more vigilant with the candy. Check the candy. Cut it into pieces, Rubestein said. Anyone who finds more sewing needles or has any more information is asked to call Officer Tyler Mardis at the number linked this on this news article. So, pretty crazy that this actually happened. Um, I couldn't believe this whenever I, read, whenever I read this morning. I was like, are you literally kidding me? Um, crazy. Actually candy that someone has put a needle in. But let's go ahead and get into our story today. Our true story. Another true story which is the in real life candy man. You might think that Mike Hinton's anger had ebbed in the three and a half decades since as a young Harris County assistant district attorney. He was assigned to prosecute Ronald Clark O'Brien, the father accused of poisoning his own son's Halloween candy. Or that, in the 25 years since, O'Brien was executed by the state of Texas. Hinton would prefer to let the past dissolve into receding memories. You'd be wrong, though. I never get tired of talking about that sorry ASS, son of a, you know what, said Hinton, today an attorney in private practice in Houston. Ever since he convinced a jury that O'Brien deliberately murdered eight-year-old Timothy by placing cyanide, laced pixie sticks, into his trick-or-treat candy, the clarity of Hinton's recollections has not faded, but rather resolved into sharper focus. He remembers tiny details of the case, he said, just like it was last night. Such as when, in a near-empty courtroom during the trial, O'Brien later dubbed the Candyman, turned to him and offered a Tootsie Roll, and how on the night of O'Brien's execution, March 31, 1984, Hinton returned to his childhood home in Amarillo, took a boat out on a lake, and lifted a Miller beer in silent celebration as he floated in the darkness. Flick the right switch and vivid images still scroll in front of Hinton's eyes, particularly when late November roll I'm sorry, when late October rolls around. He sees a dead bo the dead boy's slight body on the autopsy table. So young, he said, choking up. So young. Hinton is not the only one haunted by the memory of the crime that spooked generations of Halloween trick-or-treaters. Tom Campbell was a young news reporter for a Houston television station when he was assigned to cover the O'Brien trial. Today, as an anchorman for a television station, Augusta, uh, Georgia, had no, he, he's had no better luck outrunning his memories. To this day, I don't observe Halloween, he said. Every year as daylight fades in the final day of October, he has kept the porch light at his home off and refused to answer the door. When the station's annual party gets underway this year, he'll slip out as he always does. I can't do this, he'll tell himself again. Ripples from the real-life tale of Halloween horror have touched millions more, though many people today may not realize it. In 1979, when Ronald O'Brien appealed his death sentence, Clyde DeWitt represented the government. 
O'Brien's lawyer was Marvin Teague, who two years later would be named a justice on the state's Court of Criminal Appeals. Teague died in 1991, but DeWitt vividly remembers the defender's opening statement. As you know, Chogue began, my client was convinced of killing Halloween. Now an attorney in Los Angeles, DeWitt recalled that pressing for O'Brien's death sentence was complicated by his criminal record or more accurately, lack of one. This guy had never had anything but a parking ticket in his life, he said. So how do the evidence support that he wasn't capable of rehabilitation? Most of those who learned the details of O'Brien's actions, however, agreed that his single transgression was more than sufficient to merit the ultimate punishment. I have seriously mixed emotions about the death penalty, DeWitt said. But if, that, uh, but if this doesn't justify the death penalty, then there will never be a case that does. I just can't think of a more re reprehensible crime. The events of that evening 35 years ago tonight, which was, yeah, Halloween night. No, October 16th, this was published. So, yeah, the events of that evening 35 years ago on October 14th, 2016, Litter described in court documents and newspaper accounts appeared straightforward if appalling. After dinner with friends, Ronald O'Brien still dressed in the white optician's lab coat he wore at work, and neighbor Jim Bates headed out for an early evening of trick-or-treating. It was raining. With them were three children, a Bates boy and O'Brien's two children, Timothy and five-year-old Elizabeth. At one of the homes they visited, no one answered the door. While the children ran ahead of the next house, Ronald O'Brien stayed behind. When he cut up to the group, he was holding several giant pixie sticks, colored paper straws stuffed with powdered sweetener. You must have some rich neighbors, he told Bates. He gave one to each of the children. Back home, Timothy asked to eat some of his candy before bed. He selected the pixie stick. When he had to pouring the powder into his mouth, his father rolled the straw between his palms to loosen it. After pouring the candy into his mouth, Timothy, Timothy complained that it tasted bitter. O'Brien gave him some Kool-Aid to wash the taste out. Timothy began vomiting almost immediately. Within minutes, he was convulsing. His father called an ambulance. Bill Lanier had been a detective of the, with the Pasadena Police Department for less than a year when he caught the O'Brien case. It was his first murder investigation. Now retired and living in Louisiana, Lanier remembers the case vividly. Beginning with his arrival at the hospital, Timothy was dead on arrival. So Lanier went to work interviewing members of the O'Brien family. Ronald O'Brien, who two weeks earlier had celebrated his 30th birthday, was a big guy, but he talked soft, almost feminine. He had a real hang-dog look, the detective recalled. He wasn't crying or bawling or anything, but there was no reason to believe that he was involved. Lanier and several other Pasadena detectives quickly fanned out, recovering four other pixie sticks. One had been clutched in the hand of a child who'd fallen asleep after failing to open the straw, which was stapled shut. Others were recovered from the Bates children and Timothy's sister, who also had yet to eat them. Lab tests show that the top two inches of the straw had been packed with a fatal dose of cyanide. Over the next couple of days, police had to pin down the house where O'Brien had received the poison candy. O'Brien's recollections were oddly imprecise. 
At first, he kept saying, I don't know what home. Then, I don't know which street. Lanier said, but they only trick-or-treat on two streets. Then he said he didn't see the person. All I could see was an arm. After methodically walking up and down the neighborhood several times with the cops, O'Brien finally directed them to a house. It was owned by a man named Courtney Melvin, who O'Brien said was the person who gave him the deadly candy. Bad choice, Ronald C. O'Brien, Hinton said in a recent interview. It turned out Melvin hadn't gotten home until nearly 11 p.m. on Halloween. The guy had an ironclad alibi, Lanier said. He was a shift worker, a supervisor at Hobby Airport. He had more than 200 people who could vouch for him. Meanwhile, the detectives were uncovering more troubling information about O'Brien. He had recently sold the family's home to cover mounting debts. He still owed money to numerous creditors. He also purchased a $20,000 life insurance policy on each of his children a month earlier. In addition to the policy, he'd acquired, from the previous, he'd acquired for them the previous January. Halloween fell on a Thursday. On Friday at 9 a.m., just hours after his son's death, Ronald had called to inquire about collecting on the policies. The more questions the police asked, the more suspicion fell on O'Brien. The summer before, he had called an acquaintance who worked for a chemical company and asked him questions about cyanide, including what constituted a fatal human dose. Just before Halloween, he entered a Houston chemical outlet and asked about buying some of the poison, leaving after he learned that the smallest package available was five pounds. Even after being confronted with the growing evidence against him, O'Brien never confessed, Lanier said. He came close. I got him right on the line. An interrogation typically goes through stages. First, there's denial. Then you can see the subject give up. With O'Brien, I seen that give up. We've been in the interview room for a while, and he slumped and started nodding his head like he's agreeing with me. I said, now it's time to tell me, and he nodded some more, so I waited a couple of minutes. When he didn't say anything, I said, Ronald, tell me. And he said, tell you what? And that moment, that was gone. He never got there. Police never identify where O'Brien bought the cyanide either. And during his trial, O'Brien maintained his only son had been poisoned by an anonymous monster. But the jury took less than an hour to convict him. His initial appearance was denied in 1999. I'm sorry, his initial appeal was denied in 1979. Not only did he kill his son for money... The judges noted, but O'Brien intended to commit other murders to do so, when he intentionally dis distributed the four additional poison pixie sticks to the other children. The likely and predictable result of his acts was to cause their deaths also. The horrific death of Timothy O'Brien would prove to be a singular crime, the only deliberate Halloween poisoning fatality ever documented, said Joel Best a sociology and criminal justice professor at the University of Delaware who has studied supposed instances of October 31st candy poisonings and reported attempts to harm trick-or-treaters, yet he added the case had a kind of echo chamber effect. Unproven rumors playing deadly Halloween pranks on children have been circulating for decades, and O'Brien probably calculated that they would serve as a cover for his crime. Best said, and while Timothy's poisoning was neither random nor anonymous, the rest resultant publicity confirmed parents anxieties about stranger danger in the days after timothy o'brien's death the police measured the fear in towering piles of candy people were scared to death lanier recalled we put out the word if you have any suspicious candy or anything that looks strange bring it to us we wound up with a whole room full of candy 
People didn't go trick-or-treating around here for years. It was amazing how well-publicized the trial was, Hinton said. There were reporters from London and Germany all over. Even today, it's still talked about. I think it changed Halloween. O'Brien's wife, Diane, steadfastly maintained she was unaware of her husband's plans. She divorced O'Brien soon after testifying against him in court. She later remarried and still lives in the Pasadena area. Timothy's younger sister, now 40, has managed to put the incident behind her and raise a family, Hinton said. Ron O'Brien's lawyers tried to save his life up until the last moment, but their appeals failed. The former optician agreed to donate his eyes for research and cataract transplants. After a final meal of well-done steak and Boston cream pie, O'Brien was injected with a then-new lethal cocktail of drugs considered more humane than electrocution or cyanide gas. I have to come in here. He tried to poison people with cyanide. Why not give him some of his own cyanide? He was declared dead at 12.48 a.m. when news of O'Brien's death reached a group of observers who gathered for the occasion outside the Huntsville police facility, prison facility. They cheered and yelled, trick or treat! Oh my goodness. What an idiot. He has ruined Halloween. And I say it all the time. People like this ruin Halloween, people who rob places, ruin shopping, people who burglar homes, ruin living in their homes, people who drive like crazy, ruin driving, people who do things wrong, ruin everything. It's like people get so lost in it, and it's like, they're such cowards. Well... With that being said, you guys, I think that's going to be it for today's episode. It wasn't too awful long. I just wanted to share with you two stories for today, this evening, on Wednesday, November 1st. Happy November. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Crimes are committed every day all across the globe. This was just a few of them. There is millions and trillions more all across the globe. The real question is, will you return for the next episode to hear more of chilling ice-cold crime? I'm your host, Austin, and there is new episodes coming every week, sometimes more than once a week, so you can get more stories, and more crime to wring your ears off. Hey! Ice-cold stories of pure, true crime. Only here, a chilling ice-cold crime.